Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. Last week, we began talking about the predominance of Jesus. I want to continue that thought here this morning and uh, here at the beginning, give just a little review of what we talked about last week. At the very center of our faith is Jesus. He is the predominant subject. He is our doctrine, our theology, the prevailing witness of our salvation, the chief ambition of our lives. Amen. Jesus is the solid rock on which our lives are built, not the expectation of heaven, not the fear of hell, not the church or even the Bible alone. Without Jesus, the scriptures are incomplete and the Father remains hidden in mystery. To be Christian is to place Jesus far and above everything. To be Christian is to place Jesus far and above everything, above everything bad and equally above everything that is good. Jesus is predominant, amen? Last week we talked about how Jesus is the predominant figure of our salvation. Jesus is the initiator of our salvation, meaning that it was his idea and not ours. Now our involvement is vital. Our yes to him is vital. Our yes to him, it begins that process of working out your salvation with fear and trembling. But while our yes is vital, it was his idea to save us in the first place. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we had in our minds anything about pursuing God, he was pursuing us, which is absolutely unfathomable if you think about it. That God, who, who are we? Who am I that God is mindful of me? Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It says that he was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. Before you were ever a thought in your parents' mind. Before your parents were ever a thought in their parents' mind. Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. Why is this important? It's important because if we cried out to God in mercy, if we cried out to God, and he had mercy on us, he is good and benevolent. But if it was his idea to save us before we were ever, before it was ever our idea, if he and his goodness and his mercy decided to save us before we ever cried out, then not only is he good and benevolent, but it, said, it means that he is unapologetically, unapologetically in love with us. And for our good. So Jesus is the initiator of our salvation. Not only is, the, is he the initiator, is he the one that started our salvation, begun our, that process. Jesus is the means of our salvation. Not only did he give a profound yes to your salvation, but he became the door. He became the way God stepped into creation, put on flesh, and then allowed that flesh to be torn by his own creation so that that creation could experience salvation. This is what the Bible calls kenosis 
or Brad Jeersack, the theologian, he calls it cruciform love. It says in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, it says that God emptied himself, that Jesus emptied himself. That word emptied is the Greek word, Greek word kenosis. It doesn't mean that he emptied himself of his divinity, right? He was very God of very God. He was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So he didn't empty himself of his salvation. When it says that he emptied himself, or this word of kenosis, it means that he gave the fullness of himself to save us. The full weight of his divinity to save us. Kenosis is love over rights. Humility over pride. Self-sacrifice over self-preservation. Cruciform love. He didn't say, I am God, I don't have to do this. He said, I'm God, and I'm going to give even that for them. Jesus is the means of our salvation. Jesus is also the purpose of our salvation. Not only does Jesus save us from sin, he brings us into the union that the Father, Son, and Spirit share with one another. We call it perichoresis. Actually, we don't call it that. The early church fathers call it perichoresis. What is perichoresis? Perichoresis is a dance. Back in the day, way back in the day, when I, when I say back in the day, I don't mean like 1970. I mean like, I don't know, 100 BC, <laughs> you know, way back in the day. There used to be a dance that was done at weddings. And this dance was usually... Uh, done by at least three people and in the dance they would weave in and out of each other in the dance and that it was a very fast dance and they would weave in and out of each other and and they would describe it as perichoresis because it was they were so in union the dance was worked so well in union it looked like they were one it looked like they were one. So when the early church fathers were looking at how to describe the relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they described it as perichoresis, the dance that there's three individual beings, but there is so in unity. They're so, their love for each other is so great that it is though they are one. And this is the relationship that we have been invited into through salvation that we get to experience the circle dance with the Father, Son, and Spirit. Come on, that's amazing. We get to experience the union that the Father, Son, and Spirit share with one another. It says in John 14, the, day, the night before Jesus goes to the cross, he's sitting with his disciples, and the thing he, the predominant message he gave them was, I am in the Father, the Father is in me. And then he turns around and says, and we are in you and you are in us. What an invitation that we get to experience that union and relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen? Most of our salvation doctrine has been focused on what we are saved from. We preach all the time how we have been saved from our sins, right? We have been forgiven from our sins. We are saved from the punishment that sin brings. And I'm grateful for that message and it is important and it is absolutely part of the gospel. But there is a more important and exceeding and, and more important and a, there is a more important and exciting revelation to salvation. 
And it's not what we are saved from. It's what we are saved for. We tend to look back on things, even in our testimonies. Have you ever heard somebody share a really good testimony, right? About 90% of the testimony is who they used to be. Most of the story is I used to be a drug addict. I used to be promiscuous. I used to kick puppies, right? Like I used to be this awful person and then they finally get to the good news. I got saved and now I'm not that anymore. And that's incredible that you're not that anymore. But I want to know who are you now? What happened after you accepted Jesus? That is where the real game changer is. Amen? It's not just about what has happened to us, what we used to be. I'm glad we are not that person anymore. But there is more to salvation than you are no longer a sinner. There is more to salvation than you're no longer going to a bad place. There is, I'm glad your identity is not that anymore, but the gospel has a better message than that. The message is this, he has made you alive. You have been made alive. Then the next question is, what does that look like? We know what it looks like to be lost. We know what it looks like to be dead in trespasses and sins. But what does it look like to be made alive? And this is the part of salvation that so often gets left out. But after today, I want you to shift your thinking about salvation from what you avoid to what Jesus has granted you access into. I don't want you to just think of the cross as a rope thrown down to the bottom of a pit. I want you to think of the cross as the doorway into the very life of God. He didn't just save us from, he saved us for. If you have your Bibles, open it up to 1 John chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 1. It says, Look with wonder at the depths of the Father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. The reason the world doesn't recognize who we are is that they didn't recognize him. Beloved, we are God's children right now. However, it is not yet apparent what we will become. But we do know that when it is finally made visible, we will be just like him. <laughs> For we will see him as he truly is. And all who focus their hope on him will always be purifying themselves just as Jesus is pure. There once was this little girl who had a beautiful singing voice. She loved to sing, to walk around and to sing. And her dad loved to listen to her sing. So much so that he wrote her her very own song so that they could sing it together. And they would sing together all the time when they were playing. They would sing their song. When, they, when the father was walking his daughter to school, they would sing the song together. When they would come home, they would sing the song. At night before they went to bed, before they said their prayers, they would sing their song together. While she was still young, her father got very sick and eventually passed away. Not too long after he passed away, 
her mom married another man and he became her stepfather and her stepfather was nothing like her father. He was very critical. He was very harsh. He was a very sad person. And one day she was walking through the house and she was singing the song of her father, the, fa the song that her father had written for her. And he began to mock her and laugh at her and make fun of her. And he said, you, you sound like a dog howling at the moon. And over and over again, he would just criticize her and he would make fun of her and he would, he would be harsh to her and, as she would sing. And eventually she began to believe the words of her stepfather. She began to believe that maybe I am a bad singer. Maybe I do need to just stop this whole thing. Maybe it is just silly. So after a while, she just quit singing altogether. And as time went on, she began to forget the lyrics that, to the song that her dad wrote her. She eventually became a woman, a grown, grown woman, and she married a man that was almost exactly like her father, exactly like her dad. And her husband always had heard that his wife had this beautiful voice, but she never sang for him because she was afraid that she was going to be hurt again. And the husband wanted to heal the wound that his wife had, so he began doing something. He began introducing her to his friends. Every time he would introduce her, he would say, hey, this is my wife. She has a beautiful singing voice. At first, this made her uncomfortable and she didn't really like it. And she, she would even ask him to stop doing it, but he just persisted. Every time sometimes he would introduce her, he would say, this is my wife. She has a beautiful singing voice. After a while, the embarrassment began to turn into confidence as the little girl inside of her that could sing began to reawaken on the inside of her. Then one day, she was in her kitchen and she was cleaning up the dishes and she began to hum a familiar melody. The hum turned into a whisper and the whisper turned into this grand chorus as she began singing confidently again at the top of her lungs and she was singing her father's song. She remembered the words to her father's song once again. Listen to the words that Jesus says to us in 1 John chapter 3. He says, He has called us and made us His very own beloved children. This is how the Father sees you. But just like the little girl so often, we hear words that are contrary to our Father's voice. You know, Martin Luther called Christians, he, he, the way he viewed Christians, he said they are snow-covered dung. That we may be covered white as snow, right? But underneath the snow, there's still this filthy, dirty thing. There's many churches and I've even been guilty of saying this before too, and you've heard this from us a lot here at the church, that we still call ourselves sinners. We add the term, we're sinners saved by grace, but we still identify as this thing that is lost in this 
um, delusion of sin. When we hear these things enough, we begin to believe them. And we begin to become what we believe. But listen to what the Father calls you. He doesn't call you snow-covered dung. He doesn't call you a sinner saved by grace. He says, you are my beloved child. Do you know what the word beloved means? It's the Greek word agapitas. Here's what beloved means. It means object of one's affection. One who is loved. The favorite one. And my favorite, worthy of love. Not only does he love us, he says, you are worthy of that love. You are worthy of that love. The Father calls us beloved children, but we have been so conditioned by the voice of the enemy that we have come to believe that voice over the Father's voice. Just like the little girl who began to believe her stepfather's voice, began to believe his words over her father's. But listen, the Father calls you beloved. You know what else he calls you? He calls you righteous. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Isaiah 61, which is the same chapter we were in for quite a while when we talked about praise, the same chapter where we get the garment of praise, God hands us two other garments. Isaiah 61, starting in verse 10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden caught, uh, as the earth brings forth its bud, as the garden causes the things that are sown into sown to, I'm sorry, I mistyped this. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. He hands you the garment of righteousness. If you remember when we talked about garments, garments aren't something that cover you up. Garments are something that identify who you are. He has covered us with the robe of righteousness. If we're not careful, we'll see that as Luther did. That he has covered us, but underneath the covering, there's still this messed up, filthy, dirty thing. But don't worry, he's covered it up. But that's not what the garment is. When, when the father and the prodigal son, which I, I understand you're talking about the prodigal son in Sunday school class. The father of the prodigal son, when he hands his son the robe and places it on him, he's not covering up something. He's declaring something. He's declaring that this is my son. He's identifying him by placing the robe on him. So when God gives us the robe of righteousness, he's not covering up something underneath. He's, he's uh, exemplifying what's underneath. Because you are not righteous just by word only. You are righteous as God is righteous. 
And that's hard, especially for our Western American churches to comprehend. That you don't have a lesser righteous than God. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that, that you have the righteousness, what? Of God. You are as righteous as the Father is righteous right now. You cannot get grow in righteousness. You cannot become more righteous. You are as righteous as God is now. Here's the deal. You are either, your righteousness is either as filthy rags or it's as God. Those are the two choices. Because, you, because he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Who are you? You are not filthy dung covered in snow. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not because of anything you have done, but because of everything he has done. Amen? He has given us his righteousness. The robe expresses who you are. That is who you are right now. Amen? Not only is that who you are right now, this really might get you. <laughs> that is who you are in your Genesis. In the beginning, God created man, right? And how did he create them? In his very image and likeness. God doesn't just make you righteous. He restores that righteousness that he created you to be. You were made in his image and likeness. And through the delusion of sin, through Adam's sin, we stepped into this, this state of, of delusion where we were, we were in need of a savior and he became that savior for us. But here's, here's what, I, what I mean by the delusion of sin. The delusion of sin was that God wouldn't want him anymore. When Adam fell into sin and messed up, the delusion in Adam's mind was that because I sinned and I've messed up, God's not going to want me anymore. So what does Adam and Eve do? They hide when they hear the voice of the Lord. But God still showed up in the garden that day. He still showed up to be with Adam and Eve that day. There's this misconception that God can't look at sin. Only one problem with that. Jesus, who is God, not only looked at sin, he came and dwelt among us. If God can't look at sin, then there's a real problem with the story of the woman caught in adultery. Because not only does he, he forgive her, he stoops down in the dirt so he can catch her eyes. The delusion of sin is that God doesn't want you anymore. But that's not the case. God so wanted you that he gave his only beloved son that whosoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. And then he made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. 1 John 3, 2 now. He has called us and made us his very own beloved children. The reason the world doesn't recognize who we are is that they didn't recognize him. Think about that sentence for just a moment. The world doesn't recognize who you are 
because they didn't recognize who he was. That you so look like him that if they didn't recognize him, they're not going to recognize you. We are God's children now. However, it is not apparent what we will become, but we do know that when it is finally made visible, we will be just like him. For we will see him as he truly is, and all who focus their hope on him will always be purifying themselves, just as Jesus uh, Jesus is pure. What does it look like to be made alive? It looks like Jesus. Jesus is the initiator of our salvation. He is the means, he is the purpose, and he is also the prototype of what we become. What, do, what are we saved unto? We are saved unto looking exactly like Jesus. Romans 8 29 says, for he knew all about us before we were born, and he destined us from the beginning to share in the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him, who will become just like him. Having determined our destiny ahead of time, he called us to himself and transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he called. And those who possess his perfect righteousness, he co-glorified with his son. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured. That word transfigured there is the same word used when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain. The word is the word metamorpho. It means giving outward expression of one's inner character. It's not changing you into something you weren't already previously. It's changing you into something that was the seed that is already inside of you. It's the picture of a caterpillar becoming the butterfly. That when it goes into the womb, it already has the DNA of a butterfly. But there's a metamorphosis that takes place in the cocoon. And what was inside comes outside and is expressed for all to see. So you were transformed or transfigured You are being transfigured into the very image, into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That word image there, you're being transfigured into his very image. That word image is pronounced icon. It means exact resemblance, image and likeness. It's like looking in a mirror. We are being transfigured or transformed into the very image of Jesus. This is what it looks like at the end of salvation. We look exactly like Jesus. You may be thinking, well, I really don't look like that. My neighbor especially does not look like that. 
But look at the words again in 1 John. It says, Beloved, we are God's children now. Right now. We are God's children. What is John trying to tell us here in this, this verse? The word children there is interesting. It's the Greek word technon. In the Greek, there are four different words that are translated child or children in the Bible. One of them is nephios, which is the word for like an infant or like a baby. The other word is pation, which is for like a toddler, like kind of that toddler age. Technon is for a teenager. And weos is the fully mature son. The word that John uses here, he says, Beloved, we are God's children, technon, now. We are his technon now. What is John telling us? We are all his children right now, but at various stages of maturity. You saw earlier in the service, unbeknownst to me, some pictures of me as a child. Can you pull the middle one back up, Chad? If you look at this picture, it looks just like Malachi. There's some other pictures that I have on my phone that I showed Malachi one time, and he goes, I don't remember doing that. <laughs> Malachi is my son, right? He looks just like me, but there are some maturity things that aren't quite there yet. Right? I like to think I'm a little more mature. <laughs> there are some things, even physically, physical features that, that even though we look alike, right? Because he's my son now, we look alike. He hasn't grown into yet. He hasn't, he, he's not able to grow facial hair yet. He's a shoemaker, so it won't be long from now <laughs> that he's able to grow a full beard and start losing his hair by the time he's 16. But he'll get there, you know? He's, he's still maturing, but listen, it doesn't change his status of who he is. He's my son, even though he has yet to become fully mature. You are God's children right now. You are God's children right You look just like him right now, but you have yet to become fully mature. But it doesn't change your status of who you are. You are the image of Jesus. You look just like him. And as it says in John, there's some future tense words that are put in this sentence. It says we are becoming just like him. That when we reach our fullness of maturity, we will look just like Jesus. So what do we do in the meantime? The other day with Malachi, we were, there's actually... Yesterday, I, love, I, I have a love-hate relationship with the fall because I, I, I love the colors. I love it's a little cooler, so you get to wear more, more warm clothes. I love wearing beanies, right? But I hate what comes after winter, so I like always dread it a little bit too. It comes after fall, which is winter. But yesterday, I was all excited because I put a beanie on for the first time in a long time. So I put my beanie on. We're about to walk out the door to go somewhere. Malachi comes out into the sunroom. He looks at me for a second, and then he walks back in the house and disappears for a minute. And then he comes back out, and he has a beanie on that I gave him last year. It, was, it used to be mine, 
and uh, I got some new ones, I think for my birthday, actually, uh, last year. And uh, so I gave him, gave him this old one. He comes out, and he, he has this beanie on his head, and he comes out with this big smile on his face, and he's just staring at me, wanting me to notice that he went and put a beanie on, right? Right? So what do we do in the meantime? When we're still maturing, we continue to keep our eyes on the one we are being transfigured into. We copy him. We open the scripture up and we read the gospels over and over and over again. How did Jesus act? How did he respond? How did he move? How did he walk in so much confidence? What was his relationship like with the Father? And we begin to imitate Jesus as we are being transfigured into his very image and likeness. We look just like him, even though we are at various stages of maturity. And you know what that means? That means there's going to be times where you fall and skin your knee. There's going to be times where your immaturity maybe rises and comes out and you throw a hissy fit. There's going to be times in your immaturity where you maybe don't look like your father, but it doesn't change the status of who you are. You are just at a lower level of maturity and you're growing. You're growing. Don't get frustrated with where you're at. Don't get frustrated that maybe you're not quite as mature in your faith as the person next to you. Don't get frustrated that you may skin your knee every now and then. Because guess what? Your father isn't. I'm not mad at Malachi or Eden or Maylee that they are not yet they don't act like they're 35 yet like I am. I'm not mad at them that they aren't more further along than they should be at this stage of their life. Now, I'm an imperfect father, so there's times where I get frustrated, right? But he's a perfect father, and he is not angry at you because you have not fully developed yet. He loves you right where you're at. So don't be frustrated when you skin your knee, just get right back up and put your eyes back on him, the author and the finisher of your faith. And as you keep your eyes on him, as you keep imitating him, the work of the cross and salvation, which began this metamorphosis on the inside of you, will continue to mature you and continue to grow you up until you reach your full stature, which is the very likeness an image of Jesus, exactly like him. He is the firstborn among many brethren. Let's go ahead and stand here this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Father, you are the center of our faith. God, I thank you, Jesus, that you are the initiator of our salvation. But not just that, Father, you are in the beginning and you are the final ends of our salvation. That we are growing to look just like you.
Father, I pray for those in the room who, just like in the story, maybe have heard the words of the world telling us who we are not. Father, I pray today that those words would be canceled. And Jesus, that your words would rise up within us. It says in Romans that the Spirit raises this voice up in us that causes us to cry out, you are my beloved Father. (laughs) And we are God's beloved children. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be that voice this morning that would come into our spirits, that would cause us to raise our voices and declare that we are God's beloved children. Father, that it wouldn't be something we have knowledge of, but it would be, it'd become who we are, that it would overwhelm our lives, that we would begin walking as your children that we would begin believing the words that you speak over us, that we are beloved. I I encourage you all, as you're reading your scripture, every time you see that word in, in the scripture, beloved, underline it, and see how many times throughout scripture you are called beloved, which once again means one who is dearly loved, the favorite one, the one who is worthy of love. He doesn't love you in spite of you. He loves you because you are worthy of it. Father, let us, let your voice be the only voice that we hear. Bill Johnson says, if if we have a thought in our mind that didn't originate in God's mind, then it is a lie. Father, let us have the mind of Christ. Let the only thoughts that come into our mind that identify us be the ones you have spoken. And Jesus, I pray for grace as we are on this journey of metamorphosis. As we become, as the scripture says, the icon, the very likeness and image, the portrait of Jesus. That we are imitators of Christ. Father, we thank you again for your spirit that's here this morning. God, you are predominant in our lives. You are the object of our affection, the chief ambition of our lives. And we honor you this morning. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org.